Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the NRV Life on Mission podcast. The Life on Mission podcast is practical conversations focused on equipping followers of Christ to live on mission by teaming up and being the church. Reach out to us with questions or topics you would like us to discuss. You can reach out on our Facebook page, NRV Life on Mission, or send us an email at nrvlifeonmission at gmail.com. And now let's head on over to the heart of the New River Valley and take a listen to today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome to another week of the NRV Life on Mission podcast. We hope that you're having a great week, and we are excited today to have Ryan Linton back with us. And Ryan, how are you doing today? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. How are you? I'm doing good. Got your coffee with you. And yeah. Is yeah. it working yet? Yeah, I needed some Starbucks this morning, so uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. So. We'll, we'll let it get into your system. And then, of course, Dave Ferris. Today is Dave's birthday. Happy so happy birthday. birthday, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. How you feel? Feeling 29, man. <laughs> is that what I'm supposed to say? Again. 20, 29 again. again. Yes. I, yeah. I wouldn't know what 29 feels like yet. Yes. You know, we talked about me being a geek last <laughs> time. I actually know Happy Birthday, the Happy Birthday song in Latin. Do you really? Yeah. Please sing it for us. Uh, Felicum Wobis Natalum DM Felicum Miamiki Natalum Wobis. That's awesome. Well, yeah. you could have said anything, and we would have believed <laughs> right, you. Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I heard something similar when I, uh, like, on a Polynesian. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, you could have said anything, and I would be like, "Oh, that's yeah, sounds Dude, that's good. awesome, man." Yeah. yeah, I took Latin in high school, and we learned that. And for whatever reason, our teacher also wanted us to learn "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" in Latin, and I still remember that. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> that's cool that you retain it, man. I'm just impressed by that. I mean, well, it's it. It's not like I tried to retain, you know. It's like we we went over it so many times that it just it stuck. stuck. So that's that's good yeah. stuff. It's crazy. Well, we uh, we had a great conversation two weeks ago here on um, the historical Jesus, and before we really got into a little bit of the historical Jesus, we talked about the importance of people diving into like subjects yeah. like those because yeah. a lot of people just avoid them. Yeah. Uh, we had a little yeah. nerd versus. Uh, um, non-nerd <laughs> discussion, yeah, you know, yeah, so uh, yeah. uh, I thought it was really fruitful discussions. You you dove right into reasons why we should believe and know uh, or come to the conclusion that Jesus really did walk the earth and was yeah. really yeah. a man, fully man, fully God. And so, and we kind of opened the door to what we said is the most important part of the gospel of all of our faith, mm-hmm. which is the, the real question is, did Jesus really rise again. We want to spend some time yeah. today talking about that, don't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, well, really the whole chapter 15, but, yeah, you know, yeah. Paul says, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yeah. I mean, um, that's where we're at today uh, in our yeah. discussion. And why does Paul say that? Yeah. I mean, he goes on to say, you know, we're still in our sins and among men most to be pitied. Um, if the resurrection is not true, then Christianity is just false. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I know there's a um, man, I forget the guy's name. He teaches at Baola, but he, he always, uh, and when he's presenting uh, on world religions, he says, you know, if you're, if you're going to try out religions, start with Christianity because we actually tell you, if you can disprove this one thing, we're wrong, mm-hmm. right? So, like, start out with Christianity and go after the resurrection. Because if you can take out the resurrection, then move on. Mm-hmm. And if you can't take out the resurrection, you should be a Christian, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and I think that's 
fairly compelling. You know, there's a lot of really important things in Christianity, a lot of things that I really care about. Um, I love theology. I love the Bible. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all really hinging on the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, then let's go do something else with our lives. Mm-hmm. And if the resurrection did happen, then we should all be believers, mm-hmm. right? We should all be Christians. Um, and so that's basically what Paul's saying in, in 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, he's betting the farm on the resurrection. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, and to me, theologically, I mean, you know, we could get into this in more detail, um, but I think what's most important about the resurrection to me is this I mean, practically, what we tend to do in Christianity, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine about, about this the other day, um, uh, Dustin Black. Uh, he's in town. He pastors um, in uh, Wisconsin, I think. Wisconsin or Minnesota, but Wisconsin, I think. Anyway, we were talking about it and the, the distinction between discipleship and like theology and how like a lot of times discipleship doesn't pan out, doesn't work, like... It's hard to get people engaged with it and that kind of thing. And I think part of the reason for that is we have this notion in Christianity that Christianity is about sin forgiveness, right? You're a mm-hmm. sinner in need of a Savior. Come to Christianity, you'll get your sins forgiven. Yeah. Now what? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Well, I said a prayer. Right, right. No, seriously. Like, it's it's like, okay, well, my sins are forgiven. Um, thanks. I'm going to move on now, right? Like, I checked that box, so I'm good, you know? And that's not Christianity, right? And the way that I explain it to my students is I say, Jesus didn't die for your sins. And obviously that riles them up a little bit, right? But I say it that way to try to get their attention. And I say, like, it's not that your sins aren't forgiven in Christ. It's that Jesus' end goal was not forgiving your sins. Mm -hmm. Jesus forgave your sins so that he could unite you to God. Yeah. And the last step of uniting us to God is the resurrection and honestly the the ascension as well. Um, that that last step that's what that's when Jesus, as fully God, fully man, unites humanity to the Trinity. Right? He ascends back to His Father and takes His human body with Him. Mm-hmm. And so now humanity is in full communion with the Trinity. Yeah. Which means that anybody that's human, if they believe in Christ, they can be in full communion with the Trinity. Mm. Um, there's a really great book on this called Life in the Trinity, written by my advisor. If my students are watching right now, they're going to laugh because I recommend that book constantly, and no one ever reads it. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to keep recommending it because maybe someday somebody will read it and they'll change their lives. Um, but but it's really about this that like there's this distinction between theology and discipleship and. Um, and everybody thinks theology is not practical, and then we have a hard time engaging discipleship, and we wonder why. Mm-hmm. Or it's that because, theology is left up to the full-time right, right, pastors, right. staff. Because I just want to love Jesus, yep, right? Yep. Well, loving Jesus is a theological statement, right? Yep. And so if you want to love Jesus, you should want to love Jesus well. Yep. Like, Unfortunately, you, I don't even know that everybody says, I want to love Jesus. They no, say, I don't true. want to go to hell. No, absolutely, well, right? And that's yeah. that, that. I think that's a, a byproduct of our preaching, right? That, yeah, absolutely. That, absolutely. That we have made Christianity solely about fire insurance, solely about, like, you're a bad person and you want to feel better about that. Yep. And we can help you. Yeah. Right. Um, well, I was going to say, you know, <clears throat> I was going to say right along that line that that's the problem with the preaching over the last few years of, forgive me, but you understand what I'm about to say, of scaring the hell out of people. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. I, it became a reality when I was a youth pastor. We were talking about heaven, 
and yeah. how glorious it's going to be and awesome. And one of the teens, you know, the teen teenagers and kids, you know, a lot of people avoid those ministries because they're you're going to get the good questions. Yeah, you are. One one guy raised his hand and he said. What's so? What's going to be so great about heaven? I mean, yeah. just we're going to be singing. Yeah. I mean, why is that fun? And I'm like, right, right. I was like, what? you know, it's just one of those like, what, what do you mean? And that, and that See day, you I, next week. <laughs> yeah, right. we'll, we'll come back to that. But foosball. Right, that's right. when I realized. Wow, even I was teaching guys. You gotta like, you don't want to go to hell. But then right. I realized, guys, it's about spending eternity in the presence of your Savior, in the presence of God. And the only way you get to appreciate that is if you are on a constant pursuit of knowing God more, which brings in the discipleship in. Well, I mean, Paul says in Romans, the goodness of God leads one to repentance. It's not the evil of hell that will lead somebody to repentance, right? It's the goodness of God. Um, I mean, this is, you know, I'm not going to get too far into politics here, but this is one of the things that frustrates me in politics, right? Is it's like, vote for our candidate because the other guy sucks, yeah. right? And it's like... What happens if both No, suck? I don't, I don't want to <laughs> vote for someone because the other person's evil. I want to yeah. vote for someone because I believe, you know... How anyway. are they going to benefit? Right, exactly. You know, and so, uh, and, and we do that in our gospel presentations, mm-hmm. right? It's like, do you want to burn for eternity? Well, does anyone want to burn for eternity? You know, like... You know, be a good preacher to say, that. Somebody in the audience that's like, yeah, I kind of do, right? Like, sign me up for that. Um, you know, that. But that's not like that's not the gospel presentation, right? Like, no one in the in the New Testament preaches that way. And that's not to say we shouldn't talk about hell. It exists. Jesus talks about it. But the point isn't you shouldn't want to go there. So do this other thing, mm. right? The point is, look the the thing for which you were made. Yeah. The one for whom you were made wants to spend eternity with you, mm-hmm. wants to extend to you eternal, secure love. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. And in the process of that, he can take care of your, your guilty conscience. Mm. In the process of that, he can take care of all of this other stuff, mm. right? But that's all beside the point, mm. right? Um, uh, the way I explain this to my students is I say, um, you know, I'm married, that's why I wear this ring. But I didn't get married so that I could wear this ring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a good point. That wasn't my, my end goal in getting married. My end goal in getting married was being united to my wife, mm-hmm. right? Being one with her, getting to spend the rest of my life with her. This is secondary, right? This mm-hmm. is this happens, but it's secondary. Mm. Kids it's, are even secondary. Right, absolutely, right? Because if your relationship with your wife isn't central, then your parenting is not going to work out, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. If you put your kids ahead of your spouse, then your spouse is going to be angry and your kids are going to be jacked up, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, happy wife, happy life. Exactly, right? Yeah. And so like... <laughs> and I mean it. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it should be God, your spouse, your your family, your church, you know, like... That's right. Like those are your your priorities, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so I think you know there has to be a fundamental shift for us. I mean, the resurrection changes everything, yeah. and what it changes is that what we have on offer in Christianity is an eternal, secure hope hmm. that on your worst day you know that ahead of you hmm. the best is still yet to come. Yeah, that you have an eternal, secure hope. Jesus defeated death. The, the worst thing that can happen to us has already been beaten, right? And so no matter what happens to us, the best is yet to come. We mm-hmm. have an eternal hope on the other side of death. Um, 
and you know, I have I have students that you know when we talk about heaven, um, that you know, I just I'm honest with them. I'm like, you know, uh, you may not ever admit this to someone, but all of us at some point have have thought I think heaven's going to be boring. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, you're not a good Christian if you admit that, right? Mm-hmm. Because you should be like, I want to be in an internal worship service. Mm-hmm. Right. But in reality, like, we've all been in a worship service that was really great. And yet, still, at some point, we were like, I mean, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, I'm ready to move on to something else, yeah. you know? And the way that I explain this to, to the students, and, and this, is, this comes from C.S. Lewis, um, he, he says that essentially, you know, I'm paraphrasing that um, when we see a sunset, or when you see the Grand Canyon, you know, or something like that, and you have that feeling that's just like, oh, I want to, I want to capture this, you know. And then we take a picture of it, but the picture's not good oh, enough. No, we're close. You know, it's like your wedding day, right? You have wedding pictures, but the wedding pictures don't don't get you what you felt on mm-hmm. that day, right? Yeah. It's not the same. It's the same thing when you take a picture of sunset, take a picture of the Grand Canyon, take a picture of the mountains, whatever. And C.S. Lewis says, in those moments, that feeling. Is, is we're getting a glimpse of eternity. We're getting a glimpse of the glory of God, the eternal glory of God. And, and we want to capture that mm. and hold on to it. And what he's saying is he's like, God is giving us a glimpse of what we will have perpetually in eternity. Yeah. Every moment in eternity will be that feeling. Mm-hmm. That feeling that we want to capture and we want to live in, we get to live in. Yeah. Right? Like, if you want to be... In that moment of looking at the Grand Canyon for the first time, eternally, that's heaven. Yeah. Right? Because that feeling of the Grand Canyon, it's not about the Grand Canyon. It's about the one who made the Grand Canyon, right? It's about his glory. It's about his beauty. And uh, and so it's those sorts of things that should be compelling to us towards salvation. And all of that is guaranteed by the resurrection. Yeah. Well, one of of Tom Rainer's sons tweets every single day. Jesus rose again, and that changes everything yeah. for today. Yeah, and um, and the resurrection does. You know, I kind of want to swap the order that I was going to, you know, kind of guide us today. But uh, um, one of the questions I wanted to bring up was, how does the resurrection affect us today? Like, why yeah. why does the erect, why does the resurrection of Jesus affect us today? Yeah, and then yeah. we can get into in it here in a minute. How do we know that he yeah. did? But how yeah. does it affect us? Why does it affect us? So, so on the the most <clears throat> excuse me, um, on the most simple level, um, you know, it, the first Christians were Jews. When did Jews worship every week? Saturday. Mm-hmm. That's the Sabbath. So why do we worship on Sunday? Mm-hmm. The resurrection. Mm-hmm. The the very fact that you have Orthodox conservative, sold-out Jews, right, who, who, who love their faith, who decide we are going to forsake the, the ancestral time of worship that has been for thousands of years the day that we would spend on worship. We're going to forsake that and adjust to Sunday. Hmm. Uh, D.A. Carson wrote a book called uh, From Sabbath to Lord's Day talking about this. That that shift is insane. And so for us, every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. If you look at the early church, the early church had uh, fasts frequently, never fasted on Sunday. Hmm. 
Because you never fast on the day when you're celebrating the resurrection. Hmm. You should not fast when you're celebrating the resurrection. Wow. Ever. And and so the early church took that as a... And, and so Sundays were feast days. In the midst of a fast, you would have a feast on Sunday. Because Sunday was a reminder that, hey, the... Even though our life is terrible, and we might be fasting about something right now because our life is terrible, Sunday is is a reminder of the anchor of our hope, and so we're going to feast today. Yeah, because Sunday's it's a reminder. Yeah, yeah Sunday's exactly. Coming. Sunday's coming, right? And the eventual Sunday is coming. The, the eternal yep, Sunday yep, yep. is coming. Yep. Um, and so I think on, on a on a personal level, like that reminder every week. Needs to happen, mm-hmm. right? We need to be reminded every week. You know, um, the um, pastor of the church that I go to, Brett, um, in his office, he's got uh, a sign that says three rules of preaching: mm-hmm. preach Christ, preach Christ, preach Christ. Yep. Right. And his preaching philosophy is preach everything to the cross. Mm-hmm. Right. Every passage, preach it to the cross, because everything has to come back to that. Yeah. Doesn't matter where you're at, everything has to come back to Jesus is risen. Mm-hmm. Right? He loves you. He died for you. He wants to be united to you. And, and he is risen so that he can be united to you. Yeah. <clears throat> I always, so, sometimes I joke, but I kind of mean it, is, you know, <laughs> instead of having just crosses hanging around our neck and crosses tattooed onto our bodies, yeah. why don't we just start having an empty tomb yeah. around our neck? Yeah. You know, yeah. seriously, if we didn't have that empty tomb, the cross yeah. meant nothing. Right, right, right. I mean, and and that's why like I kind of I kind of laugh whenever I, I see somebody like with a tattoo that says it is finished or like people like really push on it is finished and I'm like when Jesus says it is finished he's essentially saying the bad part's over <laughs> right like he's essentially saying beginning. the hard work is <laughs> over right and because because if he doesn't resurrect yeah like and so so the resurrection and obviously like the resurrection by itself you know if there if you don't have his life. If you don't have his incarnation, if you don't have um, his death, right? If you don't have all of those other things, the resurrection doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. But the resurrection is the the capstone of all of it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so the resurrection is is crucial. And so on a personal level, like to me, I remind myself of the resurrection constantly because when I'm having a bad day, which happens way more often than I would like, <laughs> um, and I don't like my life or I don't like something that's happening to me in the moment, um, I remind myself that Jesus is risen, right? Mm-hmm. He, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And I know that because of him, I have, a, a, you know, to put it in theological terms, I have an eschatological hope, mm-hmm. meaning a, a hope in the last days, yep. right? A hope on the other side of everything. I have a hope anchored there, that that means that I'm okay, right? The author of Hebrews says that that Jesus um, in uh, in heaven, the ascended Christ, right? He is the anchor of our hope. Mm-hmm. That because He rose and He ascended to the Father, that He is the anchor of our hope, and uh, and we have that, right? So even when my life is falling apart, I can look to Him, the author and finisher of our faith, and say He made it. And and I can make it, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's the anchor of my hope. Yeah. First um, Peter, we've been risen to a yeah. living hope. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just listening to this, and and I'm, I I just wonder, you know, in in our in our modern Americanized culture of Christianity, 
how how trivial all of this is. Oh yeah, yeah. Generally speaking, it has yeah. been even in my own life. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and still, days and moments when when I don't elevate it to its proper place of yeah. importance. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's it's literally everything. You know, Christians aren't really known for our joy. Right. And we're not really known for our love. And yet right. if that if we're mindful of that reality and we're yeah. being reminded of it consistently, and I think that comes through our own devotion and, and prayer and, and time in the word. It comes in being in community with with the local church to, to be yeah. reminded of this consistently. Uh, I just man, it, it's it's crazy when you think of the reality that we live in with yeah. with Christianity in America these days yeah. where church even before the pandemic like church attendance was down to like once every six weeks yeah. uh, and, and now there's these all these statistics coming in of like these percentages and these ages that won't ever even come back mm-hmm. uh, and I just wonder man how are we really missing the resurrection or did we really ever experience it hmm. yeah I mean I think um, I, I think that we've fundamentally misunderstood the gospel, which isn't to say that people aren't saved, mm-hmm. right? Um, Salvation is not a function of having your theology correct, mm-hmm. right? If it were, we would all burn, <laughs> right? Um, um, Salvation is a function of being uh, united to the risen Christ. And so we all can have jacked theology, still be united to the risen Christ. Um, but I, I think we do all have jacked theology, right? Myself included, right? We, we all have... Um, a, a distortion of what the gospel is, and part of discipleship is experiencing that union with Christ and letting Him adjust our perception of what the gospel is. Um, and you know, I think it's it's like uh, you know, you hear Christians talk about like you know, you want your your coworkers to see something different about you, and what we normally mean by that is. We, you want your coworkers to realize that you're a better person than they are, mm. right? We, we want your coworkers to notice that you don't cuss, yeah. <laughs> right? We want your coworkers to notice that you don't smoke, right? You're a better person than them, and that's going to motivate them somehow to say, man, I want to be like you. Mm. I'm sorry. I've worked with a lot of people that weren't Christians, and none of them were like, I'm looking for a way to stop cussing. Can you help me? <laughs> like, that isn't a thing, Right. right? <clears throat> and I think our coworkers should recognize something different about us, but it's not that we're better people. It's that we have hope. Yeah. Right. Right. It's that on my worst day, I am not utterly defeated because I know that I have hope. Mm-hmm. And our coworkers should recognize that and say, man, I need that. Mm. Yeah. We say a lot uh, that uh, I'm a firm believer in your coworkers and family, neighbor, friends can see Christ in you more from your mistakes yeah, absolutely. than from acting as if you don't make mistakes. Absolutely. And then you you go back and apologize. What? what? You're apologizing? Right. What? Right. Mm-hmm. You're Those actually kind of admitting that you made a mistake right, right. and not yeah. just papering over it yeah. and trying to move <laughs> well, on. People, it's yeah. a, a, it often comes down to It often comes down to the way we respond yeah. to everything yep. in yep. our life. And, well, because uh, hope changes everything, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Um, and so if I'm encountering difficulty in my life and I feel like I don't have hope, that's going to impact the way that I react. Yep. If I'm going through a lot of stuff and I feel like I do have hope, that's going to impact the way that I react. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and so my world doesn't crumble even when it feels like my world is crumbling mm-hmm. because I have hope. Yeah. Right? 
Um, and so, so to me, I mean, the resurrection changes everything, yeah. right? And and it should be a constant weekly reminder, right? Like mm-hmm. every week, we should remind ourselves every day. Every moment, right? Mm-hmm. We should remind ourselves, right? He is risen. And because he is risen, in spite of everything that I'm facing, he is risen. Mm-hmm. And so all of this stuff can fall apart and still I'm, I'm going to be okay. And that doesn't mean that like, you know, there's biblical precedent for complaining about your circumstances, right? Read through mm-hmm. the Psalms. Yeah. David all the time is like, where are you, dude? <laughs> right, like, yeah. where, where, why aren't you helping? You know? yeah. And so there are times where you still have to do that. But there's only one psalm in the entire Bible that doesn't resolve with hope. Hmm. Every other psalm, even in complaint, David will resolve with, yet I will trust you. Yet I will hope in you. Um, There's only one, I think it's 84 or 88, um, and it's dark. Um, (laughs) It just doesn't resolve. It's just like, my life is terrible. You're not helping me. I don't know why. The end. <laughs> yeah. And so there's even place for that. But we have that. those days. There's even place for that, yeah, right? That's yeah, exactly. Real. That's real. Um, because sometimes, even though, even in spite of the resurrection, you, you don't feel like you have hope. Yeah. You know? So, so... All that was great stuff that we just talked about got me fired up. I mean, even encouraged me on a morning where I'm struggling to wake up right now. But yeah, Me too, man. But me there's too. still people out there that are saying, well, how do we know Jesus rose again? Yeah. And there's some that are saying, well, that's all great, but your Jesus didn't rise again. Yeah, yeah. Right? And yeah. so how do we, okay, our faith, we we know as believers yeah. that, that Christ rose again, but, you know, going back to the historical Jesus sure, sure. conversation, you know, there are people that deny the fact that Jesus rose again. And so how, how would we look at history or how yeah. do we know Jesus really rose again? Um, so there's one approach called the minimal facts approach, and this is championed by um, a guy named Gary Habermas and uh, also a bunch of other people. Um, but Gary Habermas and Michael Lacona are kind of the top two guys with uh, with minimal facts. And they, they wrote a book called The Case for the Resurrection, which if you're interested in this stuff, um, uh, if you're a geek like me, you know, um, then that that's a great book for you. And honestly, even if you're not a geek, it's, it's written to be— If you're wrestling with the reality of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's written to be— Understandable at a at a lay level. So if you're just Good. regular person, and I'm not able to read it then. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, and so, so you know, it's written to be understood kind of by you know just about anybody who uh, you know has a basic grasp on the Bible. Um, but but the minimal facts approach is essentially what are what are the the minimal facts that we can establish that seem to point in the direction of a resurrection. And we talked about this last time, the, that history is uh, what we call inference to the best explanation, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, for instance, like there are people that say that the Holocaust didn't exist, right? Well, that's hypothetically possible, right? It could be a giant conspiracy, hypothetically speaking, mm-hmm. right? It could be a giant conspiracy and it never happened, right? But if we're, if we're doing good history, inference to the best explanation— all of the data points to the existence of the Holocaust, yeah. right? And so the the amount of, of conspiracy that you would have to be suggesting, like you would have to give me an insane amount of evidence for that conspiracy mm. in order for me to really start considering that the Holocaust didn't happen because all of the evidence points in the direction that it did. Yeah. And so that's the inference of the best explanation. You look at all the data and you say, what explains all of the, the data the best? <clears throat> Excuse me, not COVID, allergies, uh, pardon me. Um, so um, 
Gary Habermas, his, uh, his mineral facts are um, Jesus died by crucifixion, which is pretty much universally accepted, even by people who aren't Christians, as a historical fact. There are a handful of people that reject that, but the people that reject that are the people who reject that Jesus existed, right? And so that's, you know... Silly, you know, and if you're interested in that, look at the last episode. So, um, so Jesus died by crucifixion. Um, and then also, in addition to that, this is more contested, the tomb was empty. Um, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of evidence for the, the tomb being empty. Uh, my favorite piece of evidence for the tomb being empty is in Matthew, where Matthew tells us that um, the, the Jewish leaders um, said that the disciples had stole the body. Well, if the tomb wasn't empty... They could just go point to the empty tomb, mm-hmm. right? So, so either Matthew's fabricating that, and they never said that, in which case, when his gospel circulates, they could just say, we never said that, look at the tomb, not empty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. if he's just fabricating that, then that is like, you know, there's some courage there, right, <laughs> to just make something up. Or they said that, and that's that seems to be evidence of an empty tomb, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's also the, you know, the disciples wouldn't die for something that they know that was a lie. You know, if they stole the body, then, you know. So you have to explain the empty tomb. Um, so he dies by crucifixion. Um, crucifixion, if you look at it, like, just how it, how it happened, like, you don't really live through crucifixion. And the people who, there are a few historical examples of people who had, who lived through crucifixion in the Roman era. Those people weren't, like, walking and talking a few days later, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're not in good shape, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, right, so it's not like Jesus could have survived crucifixion and then, like, preached a few days later, right? That isn't <laughs> happening. Um, and so, uh, and he didn't, you know, he didn't have Starbucks to wake him up, right? So, <laughs> so um, Jesus dies by crucifixion, there's an empty tomb. And then the disciples believe that they see Jesus, they, see, they believe that they see the risen Jesus. And Paul even talks about 500 people mm-hmm. in 1 Corinthians 15. Yep. 500 people who have seen him, yep. right? So it's not just the 12. 500 people in living memory that have seen them, seen him. And then the, probably the two most compelling of the minimal facts to me are the conversion of Paul and the conversion of James. Mm-hmm. Paul <laughs> is killing Christians. <laughs> what does it take to take someone who is essentially... A terrorist, mm-hmm. right? Well, um, and living the life. Yeah. Like he had the money, he yeah. had the reputation, he had the it's, social status. It's even argued, now there, there's no like hard evidence for this, but again, in, inference to the best explanation. There's a decent case to be made that Paul was abandoned by his family. Mm. Because at his age, in his position, there's a really good chance he was married. And so it may be that when he says in Corinthians, you shouldn't be married, that what he's saying is, look, I, I decided to follow Jesus, and I lost my family because of it. Mm. And so you shouldn't get married because you're risking a lot. Mm. You're risking a lot, right? Now, again, there's no definite evidence for that. Like, it's entirely possible that that didn't happen. But there's some decent reasons to believe that it did, yep, right? Sure. And so Paul has a lot on the line when he converts. Um, the amount of evidence that it would take to convert someone like Paul is is astounding. Mm-hmm. So his conversion is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then James, like, I'm sorry, I have siblings. <laughs> what it would take for me to say that one of my siblings is God, <laughs> like, that's just just not going to happen, right? Um, right? Apologies to John and Rhonda if you guys watch this, but I'm never going to say God. something like that about you, right? It just isn't going to happen. But they were adamant against it yeah, for yeah. the life of Christ. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And then later, James is like, I was wrong. He's God. We should worship him. Yeah. Like, what does it take to do that? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, that's just, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, you used to play tag with him, and now you're like, yeah, he's God. Like, that's just, that's insane, you know? And so for Paul, for James, empty tomb, um, uh, crucifixion, the disciples seeing him after the resurrection, those are the minimal, minimal facts. Gary Abramos is basically like, if you're in an elevator with somebody and you've got five minutes, you know, or less probably because five minutes would be a long elevator ride. Um, those are the mental effects, right? You, yeah. you push on those, and that's that's why we trust that the resurrection happened, yeah. right? Um, the other approach is from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul gives us here um, sort of a, a creed. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, when I was with you, I gave to you that which I received, Yep. right? Which means someone gave it to Paul. And he gave it to the Corinthians prior to writing this letter. We know this letter is written probably in the 50s somewhere. Um, and, you know, we could go through all the, like, nerdy details. But basically, um, if you do careful history based on some things that we know about Paul's life, um, some things we know about this text, some things we know about a few other texts, it seems evident that this creed that he receives probably goes back to within about three or four years of the cross. Mm. Um, and so in all likelihood, this is the earliest, that creed that he gives us, that Christ was handed over, um, that he uh, died according to the scriptures, that he was raised according to the scriptures, um, that that creed is the earliest thing written in the New Testament. Mm. Uh, because Paul received it, right? That was something people were giving each other prior to Paul's conversion, prior to any other thing in the New Testament being written. And so Paul receives that and then gives it to the Corinthians and then reminds them of it in 1 Corinthians. Um, And so if that's true, and there are some pretty big New Testament scholars, pretty trustworthy New Testament scholars, uh, James uh, James Dunn, for instance, I think says it's within 18 months of the cross. Um, Takes a little bit of extra work to get 18 months. But, um, you know, if this is within four years of the cross, how do you, like... That's really early evidence, mm-hmm. right? Like, if, if we're talking about inference to the best explanation, if we have data that a group of Christians are talking about Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection within four years of the cross, yeah. that's not enough time for someone to become a legend, Yeah, right? That's not enough time for people to spread this story of, yeah, I mean, he he rose, right? And we're like, well, I don't, people don't really rise from the dead very often, so like, I don't know if I want to believe. Like, what do you mean? You, were, you know, right? Well, there's 500 people you can talk to, mm-hmm. right? There's all the disciples that you can talk to. Um, yeah, in four years post, I mean, a lot of them are probably still alive, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, most of them. So you've got yeah. right, like, word of mouth testimony, yeah. eyewitness account, right? Right, and so, th- I mean, it's to me, this is you know, the minimal facts is is. Strong. I like the minimal facts approach. A lot of people that don't, um, you know, but I, I like the minimal facts approach. Uh, Gary Habermas, Michael Kona, they're they're great dudes. Um, but this this to me is like, man, First Corinthians fifteen is early, early. Mm-hmm. If we're less than less than five years from Jesus's death, and you have a Christian community saying, "Here's all the things that happened to Jesus," I mean, that to me, it it. It would take more evidence to me to support that that didn't happen. Yeah. Than like that to me is almost enough on its own, right? Like if I just had First Corinthians fifteen, I would believe in the resurrection. Yeah. Um, no gospels, 
the rest of the New Testament is has vanished. If I just had First Corinthians 15, I'd believe in the resurrection. Yeah. Um, because you'd have to give me a lot of evidence to indicate to me that this isn't true. Yeah. Um, again, just inference of the best explanation. You know, if you have early data saying that this is all, these are all things that happened to Jesus. I mean, we have good reason to believe that that he. We have good reason to believe that historically speaking, not from a faith perspective, but just historically speaking, we have good reasons to believe that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. Hmm. Why does James convert? Why does Paul convert? Why do the disciples think that they see him? Why is the tomb empty? And how do we get this thing less than five years from the cross talking about Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension? I mean, well, and we haven't even gotten to, and don't have time probably, to guys like Josephus who— Yeah, I mean, there's tons of they other— They don't have stake in the game. So right, right. all it would take is one person— yeah. To to defunct like this this yeah. conspiracy theory yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And we've seen even even from Palm Sunday to the trial, we see how flaky people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet we've got droves of people giving their life yeah. for a lie. Yeah. No way. Yeah. yeah. No way. It takes yeah. more faith to believe it didn't happen. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive today, Amen. and that changes everything Amen. for today. And Amen. I want everyone to remember that. Uh, be reminded of nice that. And then also, circle, Tim. Well done, man. Hey, I am bringing <laughs> it. Good. So I also want to share uh, some scripture before we pray today. And uh, as always, uh, Ryan is always available if you have any yep. questions. We're going to have Ryan back uh, for more discussions like this. And I know we could continue today. And But if you want to talk to Dave or myself or Ryan, feel free to message us today. And we would love to have these conversations with yep. you. But Absolutely. do know that... Absolutely. We have reason to believe that Jesus was alive. He walked this earth. He is God. He rose again. And um, and our testimonies can point to that, too, the change that's happened in our life. And in 2 Corinthians, based on this truth that it changes us every day, and we have a hope, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction right now, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. Be encouraged because Jesus rose again. The tomb was empty. He died for us, and we have a hope that's found in Jesus. So, um, Dave, would you— Did you read that just because it's my birthday and you you think outwardly I'm perishing? (laughs) Not at all. I mean, you're just turning 29 today, aren't you? Again. Fair enough. Again. Again. How many times have you turned 29? Too much math. Squared. (laughs) (laughs) Well, birthday boy, would you uh, end us and pray? Absolutely. Uh, Father God, we are grateful that you uh, are God and that you are in control and you're sovereign and you're a God who loves us enough to send your own son Mm -hmm. to live the life that we could not and to die the death that we do deserve, Lord, but then to conquer sin and death and rose from the dead so that we would have hope in Him and hope in eternal life with you. And so, uh, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for that example. We thank you for just the the, the breadcrumbs that you have left uh, that really make it undeniable, Lord. And so, Lord, even as our faith is tested, Father, we thank you for the evidence. We thank you for uh, the wisdom of, of guys like Ryan and so many others, Lord, throughout mm-hmm. time that have just studied this. And, uh, Lord, we thank you uh, that you have loved us, even in our worst state, uh, to give us your Son. 
And so I pray, Lord, that anyone listening, Father, if, if, if they're in a rough season or a rough day or they don't even not, they're not even sure if they believe, Lord, I pray that something has been said today that would stir their heart for who you are and who they get to be uh, because of your son, Jesus. And, Lord, I just pray that you would use uh, this time for your glory that you bless uh, Tim, bless Ryan, and uh, Lord, bless those who are watching, Father. May we live a life on mission for you and for your glory. I pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.